Man, in in this area, I've always said it. If you're good at something and you can build the value in what you do, people will pay you for your service. If your service is great, especially in DJing, there's not many DJs if you think of the population that we have just even in Southern West Virginia. Welcome to Appalachian Startup. Stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey, not only to give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. In our next episode, you will be introduced to Josh Ruby and E.J. Price. Now, if you got married in West Virginia in the past 15 years or so, Odds are you may have had a DJ at your wedding from their team. They operate Bravo Live. Uh, Josh decided to vacate corporate America for glory on the dance floor. Now, since beginning in 2005, Bravo Live has grown from Josh to a team of eight highly experienced wedding and event DJs and currently are working over 200 events every year in Appalachia. Wow. EJ currently has a full-time job outside of Bravo Live, but is in the transitional phase of playing a more pivotal role in the company. What year did you first start? I believe it was 2004, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. And it just started with you or um, how did, how did you begin from day one? Like, you know, it was like, Oh, I want to be a DJ. What do I got to do now? Yeah. So it's kind of a crazy story. I, um, ran into a guy that I had went to high school with and many, you know, several years after we had graduated and we reconnected and he kept talking about, you know, going to these weddings and DJing. And I didn't really even understand what that meant at the time. I wasn't around that a lot growing up. And uh, so we were, we had done some things musically together in the past. He was a musician as well. And he said, you know, the guy that he was working with was looking for some help. You know, and he asked me if I wanted to go shadow a wedding with him and just see what it was all about. And he, you know, he knew I had a good personality, knew I, I knew some things about music and, and sound. My dad was always in bands. And so I've been around it all my life. And so uh, I did. And the first night that I was with him, I fell in love with it. And I just knew immediately that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I started, you know, just learning some things, picking some things up from him and, and a couple of the guys he was working with. Uh, but I immediately started buying equipment for myself. And so it was within a year that I just started to uh, come up with a little bit of a, a marketing program and a name company name and and begin to my journey. Right. So how did you come up with Bravo Live? So interesting story. Um, you know, I was I was going through some things, trying to figure out what would be exciting and fun and kind of fit the industry, uh, but also wanted something that was going to be a little bit personal to me, but it wouldn't scream that, you know, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't ostracize anybody. So um, as I started thinking about different words and word combinations, um, you know, Bravo was really sticking out because of the whole, you know, Bravo clapping of hands type of thing. And, um, also I was in the army and that was a big part of my life at that time. And so, uh, I was a 91 Bravo and I was, uh, I was in Bravo company when I was in basic training. And so I was like, well, this is kind of perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. I would, I never knew that. So, uh, you know, skipping ahead a little bit years down the road, when did EJ, when did you come into the picture? I came here, I moved to Charleston from Beckley in 2012. 
um, went to Beckley for high or college, and uh, after I graduated, always wanted to live in Charleston, and already had a few years of DJing under my belt. Um, started out in a whole different bar and nightclub scene, not really had any interest in weddings as much. And um, through our sound engineer, we ended up getting together um, as he was in Beckley, and he was supplying Josh and taking care of his sound needs and all that. And um, I can remember him saying, um, you know, you're going to move to Charleston and there's a guy down there that's got a company of DJs and I'd like to introduce him to you. His name is uh, Bill Knight. That Showtime music really uh, kicked off and was the infancy of our relationship. Who was DJ too? Was it like when you decided to start scaling the business, how did that move come about? Who was the second person you brought on or... Well, early on, um, it was really just hit or hit and miss. I mean, I had a few guys that would just help me out with overflow gigs. So I, you know, for the first really six years, I, I hadn't planned on doing this full time. I were, I had a good professional job in corporate America and, um, it was, it was comfortable doing it on the weekends. I always wanted to do my best. I never wanted to be, a, you know, your typical hobbyist DJ, but at the same time, I, I didn't really see it as a full-time opportunity. So the first few years, it was, you know, uh, the friend that got me started in the business that I had mentioned, he came, did a few gigs for us. Uh, my brother-in-law, who again is a musician, he's a drummer. Uh, even my dad helped me out for a few years. And so then over the years, I began to uh, work with a few different people, probably the first you know, if I were to consider my first real right-hand man would have been a guy by the name of David Beaufort, who is originally a Jamaican guy. And he went to college uh, on a soccer scholarship at UC. And uh, we got connected through mutual friends. And um, so he really, you know, kind of helped us start to ramp up. Very cool. Corporate America, what did you do before this? Well, okay. So (laughs) it's kind of a long journey. So when I first started DJing, I was the general manager of a furniture store. Pew Furniture in Charleston. Uh, And then I ended up working, I sold medical equipment for a company. I was a business banker with Chase. And then the last thing I did right before I went full-time was I was the the branch manager of Labor Ready, which is like a temporary blue-collar staffing company out of Huntington. So being a manager, you already had kind of some knowledge of basic business models and how they work. Did you bring that into the initial structuring of it? Oh, absolutely. I've always said it was a combination of all those experiences I had before uh, in business that led to this. I mean, it helped me be able to run a successful business. And you mentioned sales. I imagine you'd be a really good salesman for some reason. I, I, I was, I was decent. Yeah. That, that was kind of my, my stick. You know, I was always in sales or sales management in some capacity. Absolutely. Right. And EJ, you have, uh, another job as well, right? What do you do during the Yeah. So when I'm not DJing, um, my my other career is I do occupational therapy. So I'm an assistant and I do um, that with the Medicis Home Health. And so that allows me to have more flexibility to uh, get a better balance, to really create the uh, Bravo Live, which is what I want to grow and uh, phase out and do part time therapy and actually go more full time um, as a DJ. And I didn't think I never would have thought that an opportunity like this even existed. Um, but through our structure and our years together, I think that's something that, you know, we could um, allow to happen. So, you, I mean, you really obviously have a passion for music, right? So oh, yeah. how much work have you put in, you know, on the ones and twos? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How much work, you know, how long did it take you to get good? Was he natural when he started or what? So when it comes to EJ, like, okay, yeah. So so when I met EJ, uh, yeah, he was definitely already uh, on another level from most of the guys that I've met. But, you know, the biggest thing is not 
you know, not that he's not skilled, he is very skilled, but, but it's really his passion for it as much as anything and his willingness to do the work that it takes to get better. I'll say that I've never met anybody in the DJ industry that works as hard as he does at his craft. And so, you know, yes, you have to have some musical ability. If you can't keep a beat, honestly, you're not going to be able to be a real DJ. Now you can, again, you can jukebox it, you know, slide the button back and forth, but you got to be able to keep a beat. And that's why drummers, honestly, you know, transition well into becoming great DJs. And we've had several drummers to DJ uh, with us. So, but yeah, EJ is just, he, he definitely has a natural flair. And also, you know, DJing in the type of events we do, weddings and corporate events, it has as much to do with your personality as it does anything. And so if you know EJ, you know, he's got personality. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, and a lot of people may not know, but we are wedding videographers, um, me and my wife. And that's how we met you guys, thankfully. And, uh, you know, just some people, as soon as you meet him, you just instantly have this charisma. And EJ, like, he's so good at, you know, doing the technical DJing, but also the experience that you get, you know, with you too. I mean, all you guys just have your own experience you bring. So how important was that, you know, setting yourself apart from other DJs than other just, you know, we play music. It sounds good. You know, how did you brand yourself as an experience? Well, and that's, that really is what sets us us apart. When we talk to a bride, we do about a 30 minute phone consultation. Um, and very little of that time is spent on the technicalities of DJing or even speakers and, and lighting or anything like that, which obviously we specialize in. But the thing that really sets us apart is we have developed a system of professional event management. And that's the thing that allows us to guarantee every bride or every, you know, corporate client peace of mind. And so we, we really sell, we don't sell DJing, we sell peace of mind. And who doesn't want that on their wedding day or, you know, when they're planning a big corporate event. And so those systems, those processes we've developed and the training process we go through with our guys to make sure that, you know, it's the same type of experience every time is is just priceless. I imagine you have a format for each DJ, but, you know, with each personality, do you kind of accentuate what they're strong at and gear them towards that? Or do you have, you know, just a format, drop them in? And then you look for a certain personality to be a DJ. Yeah. The biggest thing that we really look for is, uh, I I won't even say personality as much because you can kind of develop a DJ persona as you go along. Uh, But it's more just your, you know, the level of interest and passion that you have. And that's just like, say, the same thing that attracted me to EJ was the passion that he had for it. So as long as somebody really has, you know, you have to have a certain level of capacity. So you had, like I said, you have to be able to keep a beat at least. Uh, You have to be able to uh, at least we have to feel like you can develop a persona and a great, you know, DJ voice, you know, as long as we feel like there's something there to work with, then we're going to do a lot of training with you. We're going to, we're going to, you know, baby step you all the way through. But the, the, the key factor is the work ethic. You have to be willing to put in the time uh, to practice, to get in front of a mirror and pretend like you're on the microphone, uh, those type of things. So that's how you practice. I was going to ask that, like, you you know, do you just did you offer free events at the beginning or or did you do a lot of that practicing, you know, in front of a mirror? Like what was the best way? Personally, I did not at first um, because, like I said, I I wasn't trying to do it full time for several years. So uh, it was pretty hit and miss. I mean, I remember when we really started blowing up right around the time I met. EJ, uh, we probably did more business in one year than I had done in the previous six years. It just kind of took off all of a sudden. Um, 
but right around that time, I had started working with a business coach, which was really the catalyst to our success. Um, and he had kind of encouraged me, Hey, look, if you really want to grow, the first thing you got to do is just get yourself out there, you know, and I know you've done a lot of growth organically to this point, but he's like, it would be worth it for you to offer some free events to some key people just to kind of get started. Uh, and I did begin to offer that, although we, we didn't, we didn't do a lot of them actually. We, we had a lot of, you know, I, I put it out there, but a lot of people didn't take us up on it too much. Uh, and it was, um, a lot of relationships that I had though with, you know, different folks. I did a lot, even with my kids sports and stuff like doing a sports announcement and then their kids were having birthday parties and stuff, which we shy away from a lot of that stuff now. But back then it was a great way just to kind of get your name out there. So, right. Was there a point where you noticed like, Hey, I'm onto something here where, where people were really responding to, you know, the events you had and, and stuff like that, or, or was it a gradual climb? Yeah, I think it was definitely a gradual climb. I don't, I don't think it was like right off the bat. It's it's definitely been uh, every every year. It's just gotten better and better. You know, we've we've attracted you know better talent, uh, and we've we've been fortunate to have the crew we have. I mean, they've all been with us for multiple years now. Now we're always recruiting and trying to find new talent, but at the same time, I think that level of experience that our team has. Uh, it's definitely made a big, big difference in the in the client experience. And I'm going to ask you, EJ, about kind of the day of process. Uh, one technical question. When you started, what was the most frustrating hurdle that you had? Was it capital or was it like, did you go into debt to start this business or how did that work? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I went into a lot of debt um, and it, it, it was scary and it was tough to climb out of. And I'm, and I'm still not you know, out of debt. You know, I'm still paying for some things that I made decisions I made a few years ago. And none of them were necessarily bad decisions. It just, even the good decisions, it takes a while to, to pay off right. in the end. And so maxed out credit cards. Uh, it took a long time for me to even be able to get a business loan, like a true business loan. Uh, probably was turned down by uh, 12 to 15 banks. Uh, finally found the local bank who was willing to, to kind of partner with me and take a little bit of a risk with me. Uh, and that's one thing that's tough about our business, too, is where we don't have a lot of assets like business assets to be able to, to loan against, you know, our biggest asset is accounts receivable. You know, the people that have booked us and they're going to be paying us money. Right. And so, but it's hard for lenders to say, look, we're going to bank on that. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's been tough. And it's, you know, uh, go ahead. I wanted to add to that just in um, retrospect to when it comes to uh, other DJs, you see what it takes to get highly involved at the level that we're at. And so to do so, that's one of the things that we are able to offer to incoming guys is say like, hey, look, you know, if you really want to grow equipment wise, if you want to grow event wise, all of these things that we're able to offer and also get the benefit of training. All of that comes in, in combinations, and, and you don't want to get into DJing or do any kind of hobby or trade with subpar equipment. And so if you want to have a higher level, you got to invest in it. And that's one of the biggest hang-ups you know, for a lot of guys is I want to do more, but I don't have the money. Am I going to put it into turntables or my speakers? And so that's one of the really the hugest benefits that um, you know Bravo Live is definitely able to give to guys on any level. Right. Because you front that cost, right, for the DJ. Yeah, we, we own all the equipment um, and our, our DJs, really all they we asked them to invest in would be, of course, a, a, a good laptop, you know, uh, and, and their mixer. And, and I've even helped guys buy that and they just kind of pay it back a little bit at a time. And so. we'll even help them through the whole process to where you're not just getting any ordinary laptop, but not only will we help you uh, 
in the getting one, but also uh, how to manage your laptop and how to do things to where it still runs efficiently and how to you know maximize it for your DJing because that's going to be your income. What would you say the typical investment for someone is? You know, they decide, well, I want to be a DJ and I want to work hard. You know, before they can start charging, okay, this will be A wedding package, B wedding package. This is how much it's going to cost. What does that typical investment look like? If they want to, if they want to do it right at an optimal level, we definitely always recommend a MacBook. Or if not a MacBook, there are PCs that do have certain levels of you know running capabilities. But even those, even still, are looking at like eight hundred and up for that. Um, you know, so it's easily going to be just for uh, you know a computer and a mixer. Even the ones that most of our guys use, not the one that I use, but that one's still going to run you about fifteen hundred without cases or any of the accessories. So um, just even those two pieces alone, we're already looking at three thousand. And we're not talking about like PA speakers and lights and all that stuff. So what would you say like to have the full setup about? Ten to ten thousand would that get yeah, you there? Yeah, I mean, if you could, you could probably squeeze it out for less. But yeah, if you want to have a really nice setup, you're you're looking at at least ten thousand. That's going to sound good. It's going to sound good. It's going to look and present well, and all that. Definitely going to be right about that area. Take me through like the day of a wedding. I don't know. Typical. What is it? A typical package is around six hours. Would you say? Something like that? Receptions, uh, we typically package five hours. So with ceremony, it would be six hours. Right. Mm -hmm. And how did you come up with that pricing? Like, how did you figure out like, well, it'll take me this hour. Did you come up with like a flat hourly rate? Or did you factor in equipment costs or in labor? How does that work? It's evolved quite a bit. Um, when I first started, um, I priced very much like the industry does. Okay, so we had like three, four, five-hour packages, and we we priced it accordingly. I never charged uh, by the hour. Okay, so I've always charged by the package, but I would charge. I would do like you know different smaller packages, three, four, five hours. Now we're at the level now where we're not going to do weddings that are only going to be three hours. Like it's just people that hire us, they're not trying to have a three hour reception. Right. So they're they're trying to dance for a couple of hours, right? You know. So we're going to be at least you know about five hours, and we figured out that that is really the top of the bell curve. So then we began to think about you know pricing, and the the thing that really drives our pricing is going to be more of the ancillary products like uplighting and monogram lights and if they need a ceremony and is it in a separate location, things like that. So, you know, we have like our baseline pricing that is a package. And then uh, we also, of course, have packages that include those things that I was just mentioning. So I know one struggle I had when I first started was not charging enough. In DJing, did you kind of have that same experience or did you kind of figure it out were you going, you know, profitable from the beginning or how did that work? No, I remember, I'll never forget actually where we're, where we're sitting here talking today. I remember having a conversation with EJ about that because we just, we were coming out of a year uh, where we had done the most events we had ever done. Uh, and we were all working our butts off. And I, not only did I not make any profit, now I wasn't making enough to survive, pay my personal expenses and survive. But at the end of the year, I was deeper in debt than I was when we started because I was also having to buy equipment just to maintain that volume. So we came out of that year and I'm thinking, I didn't make any money and I'm deeper in debt. This is not going to work. And so EJ and I got together and we said, you know what? Next year, we're going to pretty much double our prices. And we realized that we might only do half the events because of that. Uh, but we, if we just did half the events, which would mean a lot less 
physical work for us, uh, but we made the same amount of money, then wouldn't that be a bonus? You know, wouldn't that be a plus? So we, we made a decision to do that. And, you know, we came up with the marketing strategies and, and things to make that happen. Well, that next year that we implemented that, not only did everybody pay the price that was double, but we also didn't lose any business. We actually did more events. So we did more events to double the money. And that was really the year where things began to break loose. Was that the, so that was the turning point? Like, okay, like I have confidence now it's full steam ahead. Yeah, absolutely. That was the thing that really, it was scary, you know, going because nobody was charging that around here, but we knew that we felt like we had the skill sets and the, the quality of DJ and the systems in place uh, to make it worth that. And even still, you talk about peace of mind. I mean, I know from, I've been through many of y'all's weddings and you guys are worth every penny in just the fact that you do not have to worry about you know, what's essentially the biggest day of your life, uh, you know, scheduling, you guys handle all that. You run the, uh, you know, all of the dances, the the bouquet and garter tosses, and, you know, you're essentially coordinating the reception, basically. That is really what sets us apart is the fact that when you hire Bravo Live, you're basically getting a day of coordinator and not to step on any coordinator's toes because they, they definitely have their place. They're very valuable. But at the same time in our market, um, very few, I would say percentage wise of the weddings have a day of coordinator or a coordinator at all. I mean, it would be probably less than 75%. And so, or I'm sorry, less than 25%. And so, you know, we're going to step in and fill those roles for them. We're basically going to be, because nothing happens without the DJ, whether it's we're controlling it by the music or by our emceeing, you can't do anything at the reception without the DJ. And so we just said, well, gosh, you know, we're already involved in all of this. Instead of waiting for a bride to come up and tell us every move to make, let's keep her on the timeline in a nice, friendly manner where she doesn't feel stressed and pressured. But at the same time, she doesn't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, what's coming up next. And so at the same time, that's why coordinators love working with us. So I was going to say. And they exclusively refer us. I mean, I would say the vast majority of coordinators do because we make their job so much easier. We're not we're not competing you know, for that, you know, uh, FaceTime with the bride. I mean, we're just as comfortable going through the coordinator and partnering with them, but we want to make their job even easier and then free them up to be more of a personal attendant to the bride. If the, if the coordinator is not having to run up and tell the DJ every move to make, half of her time is now freed up to be able to have that tide pin ready to get the barbecue stain off the bride's dress or to bustle the bride's dress, you know, because it fell down before the first dance. <laughs> That's what I was going to say is like, you know, everyone knows you guys so well. And in my experience, as soon as I met you, I felt like I knew you for a decade, you know, and I, and you can tell that you really put the importance into being personable with everybody you meet. So yeah, the day of coordinator or even the cake person, whoever I'd say is excited to see that you're there because they don't have to worry, <laughs> you know, about things. And there's been a lot of times that uh, we I've gotten to events or even Josh or even our other guys and people of any vendor will say, oh, my gosh, I just saw the Bravo Live scrim and I didn't care who it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like whoever it's going to be, whether it's you, Todd, Jeremy. There's a bunch I haven't met yet that I'm excited to meet, but, uh, you know, it's always just going to be a perfect experience. Like, I know when me and Jenna arrive, we're like, oh, EJ's here and was like, oh, pfft, we're good. You know, we don't have to worry about nothing because, you know, it's not only that, like you tell us before everything happens, which is really important. I mean, a lot of times we've had DJs where, you know, it's time to cut the cake and they don't let anyone know. And we're still eating or we're still, you know, recording this over here. And there's been times where we have to rush and do that. And it's just, it's such a peace of mind, like you said, just on a vendor standpoint. Right. 
day of wedding, EJ, I got into this a little earlier, but what does your day look like? How does it start? My day actually starts the week of. So if we were going to say uh, this Saturday, I have an event coming up. By Monday, um, I can check our Bravo Live email that we have, and I already have the information in there, a wedding day information sheet, everything I need to know time-wise, and that gives you Monday, Tuesday, and then we also have our guys reach out um, with the, the peace of mind that really Bravo Live represents. Um, we have them reach out by Wednesday or Thursday at the latest just to touch base with the bride and say, hey, it's EJ, Jared, Todd, Josh, Reese, whoever, Jeremy. I uh, just want to let you know I've got your music ready to go. Any questions, anything changes. And, uh, you know, that relationship build really happens right there. And the brides really appreciate that mm-hmm. um, to know. And because sometimes something might come up or a bridesmaid or groomsman may get switched around, little things like that. And then um, then we fast forward, you know, because on Friday they're usually getting ready for a rehearsal dinner and they got a lot of things going on. So, again, peace of mind. We don't want to be calling you at six o'clock while you're trying to do rehearsal dinner to talk about music. We should already have that ironed out. So Saturday morning kicks off. Um, usually, you know, up leaving the house. I'm I'm always been an early person to get there. I love to get there real early and and set up and be ready to go. Also, because I like to um hang out and, and talk to you guys, photographers, videographers, people coming in and going, and just keep building relationships and really see how you guys' week has been. How's things going today? How's the you know what's your expectations for tonight, wedding wise? Just to make sure we're all on the same page. All of our guys get there early in time to set up and be ready to go. But we always like to be. 100% done, music on and ready, sound checks done, out of the way, 30 minutes to an hour before. Um, and that way, when people come in, everything's ready to go. We just have to press play, the ceremony set up as well. We got music playing in the background. All of those little things, peace of mind is, is ironed out. Those processes, Josh, did you learn those by trial and error? Or did you kind of say, well, uh, I think I have the structure of what the process needs to be and kind of cultivate that over time. How did that work? Yeah, so it, definitely trial and error. I mean, it was just, you know, constantly going to uh, event after event and and really and not only just with us, but also watching, you know, other vendors, um, you know, what they did that worked well and what I saw you know, it was really more about managing the potential pitfalls than anything else. It's like, okay, this seems to happen a lot and it's a problem area. How can we preempt that? How can we, you know, circumvent that a little bit by just, you know, doing this or doing that? And so that's really where the processes came from was just basic troubleshooting from experience, you know, doing hundreds of weddings. Now, how do you stay so hype at every wedding? I've always wondered this. Like, how do you keep it going nonstop? Because, you know, I know you probably, there's been times you probably had two or three weddings a week, just you or, yeah, just back to back. How does that work? (laughs) I mean, it really, again, we've said it a few times, but I think it's the key. I mean, it's about your passion for DJing. I mean, if, if you love what you do, I mean, it's, my goal is to have a party everywhere I go, you know, and obviously you're going to have a few events a year that just don't quite work out that way. And everybody still has a good time. That's the funny thing is a lot of times, you know, it seems to you like it's the worst event you've done and people come up and they're like, oh man, that was great. We had such a good time. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? You know, <laughs> you're sitting up there second guessing yourself like, man, what, what am I doing wrong? I can't get it together. But then at the end of the night, they're like raving about how awesome it was. So right. um, that's so, the end result. So even in DJing, when you have music to fall back on, you still find yourself 
being, uh, you know, not the most confident in the world, but you just got to push through it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's been times where, um, you know, I'll be up there playing and um, I'll be wondering like, oh, my gosh, you know, this song worked. This song's been blowing up everywhere, you know, and then you play it and it might uh, phase the dance floor down or it might just kill the dance floor. And you're up there as a DJ. It's on you to have the capacity to say I got to pull out of this one and, and, and hit him with something else. Right. And at the end of a six hour date, the funny thing about you, EJ, is, is it could be, you know, the night could be winding up and you'll be like, oh, watch this. I'm going to I'm going to mesh Cupid Shuffle into Thunderstruck. Right. You know, listen, this is going to be the most epic thing. So it's just it's so energizing to watch you guys do what you do. Um, so, all right, we're not going to look through it in, through rose colored glasses. I mean, there are hard times with this business, obviously. So, Josh, what would you say would be some of the most frustrating times that you had to go through to be like, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> you know, what, what were those times like? Well, I think going back to just, you know, finding the talent that you need to make it a legitimate business, because I've always said, you know, no matter what, no matter how good I am for me to be able to make the kind of money I want to make, um, I, I can't do it by myself, you know, or for us to be able to have the type of business we really want to have. I cannot do it by myself. And so we have a company motto and it is that a rising tide raises all ships. And all of our guys know that we say it, we talk it, we preach it, we have our core values, but it all hinges on that. And so I think the most frustrating thing has just been, you know, wow, we've got all this opportunity. We've got systems in place. We've got equipment ready to go. And it's like, why can we not find people who are as passionate as we are to be able to go out there and, and we're willing to just give them money. I have thousands and thousands of dollars that I will throw at somebody if they want to put the work into it and they want to be passionate about DJing. And, and it's amazing to me that you just can't find that very easily around here. And to keep that consistency, is there things you do to make sure the DJs you do have stay on par throughout the year? Like, do you shadow them sometimes or how does that work? Absolutely. I mean, we we do shadow each other. Um, actually, I just did a, a, a Christmas party and a guy that's been with us for three or four years now shadowed me. Um, and I will go oh, cool. shadow other guys. Yeah. You know, so that happens. All Actually, I'll, in January, I'll be riding with one of our guys who's, you know, one of our top you know, DJs and I'm just going to kind of go with him and check him out. And I love it. Uh, I actually just, uh, you know, happened to go to an event that EJ was DJing and, uh, there was one particular mix that he did that I was like, man, that's awesome. That's the best thing I've heard in a couple of years. And so today, before we got started, I was asking him about, I was like, what did you come out of before you went into this? And that's really what keeps us all motivated is the camaraderie. And I think that that brotherhood that we have to be able to, uh, you know, we text all the time. We have a group text going all the time. Um, and we're sharing what's worked, what music's hot right now. You know, what did we mash up here and there? And that really kind of keeps everybody. So I think Saturday, from Saturday to Saturday, as we get on that group text and have fun, then that's really what keeps us so going. So I, lo I love that you have someone shadow you. So you check yourself too. It's not just you checking on others. You want to be held accountable too for your performance. Oh, absolutely. No, and it puts the pressure on. You know, honestly, it's like, you know, cause we will chat each other, you know, we, we get on each other and make fun of each other. I mean, EJ makes fun of me all the time for certain things I've done in the past. And so, uh, yeah, that, that really puts the pressure on you want to give your best performance when you've got eyes on you. So what's it been like EJ? Cause EJ's more pivotal role now in the company, right? Absolutely. Okay. So how did that come about from, uh, which, what is your role right now with Bravo live? Okay. So my role right now is I do a lot of um, relationship work. Um, I do some marketing work with 
outside of the office. Uh, Josh handles a lot of things on the inside, a lot of the finances and things like that. But he has the uh, confidence now knowing that I can go out to any venue, talk to any vendor anywhere and represent our company, talk about what we offer and really begin that relationship building process to where, um, you know, they'll know if it's me showing up or if it's one of our other guys that they've already had the full rundown, their expectations are met, they're ready to go. And then once we plug in Josh, we get them all of their Bravo live swag and get them all, you know, uh, taken care of to where, you know, they're ready to roll. Um, they're ready to start referring business and they'll, they'll refer with confidence. And so that's really what my role's been. Well, and you left the key part out, EJ, what your, one of your biggest roles would be training that, you know, any, anytime we have, you know, guys coming on, uh, that need some extra work or some help, uh, whether it's, you know, from day one or somebody that's been with us a year or two, and maybe they're struggling in a certain area, EJ's that go-to that handles, you know, most of our training. So talk a little bit about that, man. So whenever, you know, whenever a guy does come on, like even for you, JD, if you wanted to learn to DJ. Right. That's right. So what I could do, what I would do is um, take the time to accommodate, to work with you, um, get you hands on um, whatever type of equipment you may need. And then also show you how to apply um, the techniques and show you how to apply the techniques that are going to get you to the Bravo live standard. Um, you know, people don't really care in general. They're not going to say, you know, hey, we really want you because you can scratch or we want you because you're this skilled or this technique. DJ wise. But if I can get you up to speed and if you've got the passion of a DJ and you're going to have the desire to want to get better, as long as I elevate myself, I can show you everything I can. And that's just another benefit to being with Bravo Live is as long as my ceiling raises, I want to make sure that I'm available to answer any technical question I can. How long does it take for you to get someone ready from, you know, start to finish shadowing you? Really depends on where, you know, their experience level coming in. So we've had guys that have been ready to go in six months and we've had guys that it's taken almost a couple of years, but we are going to be really conscientious. There's not a, you know, there's not a a hard and fast rule. This is how long it takes because we're talking about somebody's wedding here. We're talking about their biggest day. And so, you know, I don't care if it is, you know, an extra six months longer than we thought it was going to be. We want to make sure they're ready to roll. And one thing that we do that's probably a little different too, is if, if, if there's a guy that um, has been training with us for six months, a year, and we feel like he's ready to go out and test the waters, but he hasn't done that so often yet by himself, we're going to disclose that to the bride. And so, and we're going to give them some discount opportunities. I've witnessed that. Yeah. So we'll say, you know, look, and, and we only do that usually if we're, we're either completely full, uh, with all of our other DJs, or, um, if they're, if, if our standard pricing is just out of their budget and they're like, you know, well, we really love you guys. We love the system, but we just can't afford it. And occasionally I'll be able to say, well, we've got a guy that's coming out of training and, you know, we want you to understand that he's not a, he's not going to be a bad DJ. Nothing bad is going to happen, but uh, we can give you a big discount. If you'd like to give him an opportunity to work, uh, practice a little bit. You know, there was a time where Josh and I were doing our first wedding and that was offered, that was not offered to us from Sentmet else. And so that's a, a huge benefit for us is getting them prepared. And that's great because they get the experience. Plus you can feel that gap in the market. You know, so everybody wins, kind of. They still get the. We did create that was um, something that we had created as one of our packages, so we can still, um, you know, reach out with another bride of of really any budget, as long as we have the availability of that particular budget, and then also keep the FaceTime in certain uh, venues because some people, you know, let's face it, I'm engaged and we're planning our wedding, and you got to put your money at certain places. So. 
Okay, great. So what would you say, Josh, someone who's starting out as an Appalachian entrepreneur, what would you say would be the goal, the the key qualities they need to have to not only last, but be successful? Yeah, as an entrepreneur in general, I mean, I think the first thing that you have to do is is understand the risks that are involved and you know you want to you want to be able to have calculated risks so in other words i know when i started meeting i mentioned before a business coach you know we started to he helped me kind of realize that this is something that i wanted to do full time and i was kind of under the mentality that well gosh you know i i just maybe i don't have enough faith to make it happen i I, i'm scared to jump off that ledge and he's like well you would be stupid to do that right now because you don't have a plan and he said, so let's sit down and develop a plan and see if that's even possible, if this is something that would you know, be a legitimate opportunity. And, and as we work through the numbers and, you know, things are pretty scary until you put numbers behind them. And once you got the numbers all in place and it's just it's just putting that puzzle together and figuring it out. And so I worked that plan really hard for two years. And then it was like that jumping off point. Uh, I had worked it for almost exactly two years and. I knew the amount of money I needed to make to be able to survive the next year. Um, And what I was making in the DJ business wasn't nearly what I was making on my job, much less what I was making combined. But I just had that kind of gut instinct and the faith in the processes we had set up over the last couple of years that, hey, if I can put my full energy and effort into this this next year, I think I can make it. So there is a jumping off point. There is some faith, but there was a plan behind it. There was there were numbers behind it. And guess what? That first year that I went full-time, I made more money than I did in my job and DJing combined. So it, it worked out for me. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. So what would you tell someone who has that idea that has potential, uh, but they're afraid to make that leap? You know, if they have a sound plan, what would you tell them uh, on on how that leap is going to affect their business? The biggest thing you have to do is you at, at that point, it's time to go to work. I mean, I know you've been working that plan already, hopefully. Uh, but at that point, like I remember, I just woke up every day and honestly, I was scared to death. I was I was too scared not to work. And so I didn't care what I was doing. You know, at least there was going to be some activity in my business, you know, and so I would get up, I would get on the phone, I would get on the email, I would be on, you know, doing whatever I could. I was never, there was never a stale moment. You know, I was contacting people. I was going out and visiting people, a lot of after hours marketing, a lot of networking going on, building relationships. So, you know, the thing is, is you really want to spend as much time working on the business as you do working in the business. And I know that's kind of a catchphrase these days, but it really is true. Like you have to work on the business and developing it and never just resting on, you know, your laurels, what you think is going to happen. So, right. We've gotten to that point now where that's just another piece that he had mentioned. That's another part, uh, another role that I have aside from the training and going out and working with other venues is now because I've come on, um, I'm able to go to networking events where I can remember early after he had taken his leap full-time DJing, he was always out doing networking events here, there and everywhere. And then we were doing them together, but we've now evolved now to where, you're going to see me most likely at events, um, at networking things before you would see him. Right. Uh, Same question to you, EJ. What would you say would be the qualities that have helped you the most in this journey to to be successful at what you do? Man, in in this area, I've always said it. Um, If you're good at something and you can build the value in what you do, uh, people will pay you for your service. If your service is great, especially in DJing, there's not many DJs if you think of the population that we have just even in southern West Virginia. 
Um, and then what's the ratio of DJs to uh, people getting married or people throwing events? Um, you know, we're in a good spot. Um, and that goes for any vendor. If you're good at what you do, build your value and the people will pay you for it, especially if you have the passion and you love it and people can tell through what you do, um, stick to it, enhance it, make it better. And because other people, are, you know, my age, I'm 31, people younger than me uh, and even older get disgruntled and talk bad about West Virginia and our area and, and leave for that. Um, but we're here and we're doing it. We're DJs and we've been successful to, to our level. Yeah. And, you know, about being, you know, doing what you do in a rural community, a lot of people see that as, you know, a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's kind of your own uh, blank slate yeah. to do what you want to do That's and right. figure it out. I've seen it across the board in, in the entertainment industry in general um, around here. And then even from vi videographers to photographers and even startup businesses, if you're good uh, because we are tight, tighter niche and we do have, you know, connections to the first, second, third degree you're going to know somebody. Well, those people are going to say, well, hey, so-and-so is really good. You've got to use this guy. I go to this town or this place because I like this person, not because they like the business. They like Josh. They like me. We have great relationships and that's really what it's about. So people will travel. They will pay. If they have a relationship, they want to work with you. Perfect storm. You know, I hate this question, but what's 10 years from now? What's your plan? So what we're really working on right now uh, is our, our defining the systems that we already have in place. So there are a lot of systems that we have that we just need to get a little uh, better documented. And so we are really working diligently to put all these systems into um, some duplicatable formats. And so we'll have some binders, you know, with, with their tabs in it, and we'll have some online toolkits. And so we can do something. And again, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we're looking at doing some licensing in other states, uh, maybe even some franchise opportunities or maybe having some other company-owned offices in other states. So one way or another, we will be expanding throughout, at, you know, at first the Eastern Seaboard, and then we'll see how it goes from there through one of those avenues. You know, other offices, licensing, franchising, we're going to see. But we're, we're closer now to having the systems in place that it would take to do so than we ever have been. Getting married? Have a company party coming up? Or do you just want to have a worry-free rave? Bravo Live will exceed your expectations in every facet available. Visit their website at bravolivedj.com, like them on Facebook, and be sure to practice your Cupid Shuffle before they arrive. Appalachia Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and show support by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. And don't forget, we are on Patreon, so you can support the show there, and that will allow us to continue to find more businesses in Appalachia to showcase. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.